Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. If you have the Version Bible app, I'm in the CSB, so you can follow along word for word. Um, we'll also look at a passage in Matthew 14 that uh, goes along with this same passage. Um, and as you turn there, I will let you know, I, was, uh, I know we got several people out um, sick this week. Um, I was down for a few days this week as well, and so um, the little prayer guide we were going to put together um, will be coming out maybe this afternoon or tomorrow. Uh, we're a little delayed on that, even if it's uh, partial, um, so we can get that in front of you for 21 days of prayer. Um, but John chapter 6, it'll be in your outline as well as on the screen. Um, we are in this series, God of the Impossible, and I wonder for you as an individual, have you ever witnessed God do a miracle? Have you ever witnessed God do the impossible, or maybe even heard of it, um, maybe with someone that you um, know personally or intimately, maybe they've shared a time where God has worked in a miraculous way. Well, the Gospel of John in chapter 5 records a miracle where Jesus um, goes to this man um, in Jerusalem, um, and he, uh, this man has been lame for 38 years, um, and Jesus tells him what to do to get up and to get into the pool, um, and he was healed. And um, this precedes what's widely um, known as or considered to be Jesus' second most well-known or recognized miracle in the scriptures or in the time that he did ministry on earth, which is recorded in John chapter 6, as well as in the other gospels. Each different gospel writer has a, a view and a perspective, and so you can gain, if you read this, um, this event that took place um, in the different gospels, you're going to see a, a, a larger picture of what happened on this day because different writers are writing from their perspective of what they witnessed and what took place. And so today we're going to primarily look at John, but we're also going to look at one passage um, and see what Matthew has to say about it. And so in John chapter 6, 1 through 3, it says, after this, talking about after he had healed the, the lame man of 38 years, and then he kind of has this big discussion with the Pharisees because um, of what was taking place there. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now, I want to stop there because if you read in John chapter 5, the reason that he's having this long conversation with the Pharisees is because he heals this man who's been lame for 38 years. And instead of the Pharisees celebrating that and being excited about that, the Pharisees get angry and they begin, the Bible uses the word persecute, they begin persecuting Jesus because he's healing on the Sabbath day. But as we see this scene unfold and we see that Jesus has kind of left that area, he's now up on a hill, he sat down, um, he's just kind of enjoying his time in a remote area. This, this large crowd of people has now followed him out across the Sea of Galilee to, uh, or Tiberias um, to where he has gone. They've now followed him and um, they, they are coming to him once again. And really, this is the real reason why the Pharisees um, were angry at Jesus and why they were persecuting him. It wasn't because he was healing on the Sabbath. Yes, those were the laws and um, their understanding of the laws. And of course, we know they added to the law to make it more difficult for people to follow Jesus. Jesus said that even himself. 
But here, even in this moment, this is a picture and highlights why they were truly angry and upset with Jesus, because in his ministry and his compassion on the people, he was winning their hearts over. And as he won their hearts over, the Son of God, the true Messiah, then what it did was it diminished their influence and power over the people, which we know that they abused for their own good, for their own profit. And so in this moment, we see really the contrast between Jesus, who's doing good for the people um, out of the, the glory of the Father and what he desires and his plan and purpose, and really what the Pharisees were wanting, their own power and prestige and influence over the people. Matthew records this scene like this in chapter 14, verses 14 through 16. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, had compassion on them, and healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted, and it is already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. And then back in John chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, we see this play out. And it says, Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, Where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what, was, what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? I want you to write this down. Courageous faith acts according to who Jesus is, not on our earthly perspectives or provision. Courageous faith acts according to who Jesus is, not on our own earthly perspective or provision. So as evening comes, the disciples want to send the people away because um, it's a massive crowd. Um, they don't have any food to give them. And they know that because they're in a remote place, it's going to take them some time as evening is setting in to get to a, a, a village that's nearby so that they will still have time to purchase food and that they can eat or else they might go hungry. They understand that with this massive crowd on their hands, if they get hungry, or as y'all might recognize the term hangry, um, they, that might be a problem. In fact, Snickers did a really good job of capturing this human condition. Um, in their commercials, they would take someone like a Betty White or another famous actor that you would uh, recognize and would have them to be angry or to be grouchy. And, uh, you know, whatever they might be playing football, um, that's what they had Betty White doing, which was pretty um, funny. They might have had them in a motorcycle club. There's all the commercials online. You can go look at them. But, but they're angry and they're upset and people are looking at them as if this isn't normal. And so someone in the commercial gives them a snicker to eat. And as they eat the snicker, it returns them back to being a regular nice person. And so they capture this. Um, understanding of being hangry, both hungry and angry, because hunger leads to anger. And so the disciples, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us, maybe it was out of compassion, maybe it was out of concern, but they understood that they were about to have a multitude. The Bible says there were 5,000 men, but there were also 
um, young boys there. There were also um, women there. And so it's perceived that there were between 15 to 20,000, if not more, people in this one place that has followed Jesus into this remote area in the desert. And so this is a lot of people, if they were to get hungry and angry, to have to deal with and to have on their hands. And so the disciples' faith in this moment was small and far from courageous. They don't have the resources. They don't have the food to offer to the people. They don't really have the money to, to go purchase enough food for this many people. They find one boy who's naive enough to even let it be known that um, he has brought five loaves of bread and two fish, which could have been dangerous with a massive crowd like that. Maybe there were others who were withholding because they didn't want um, to let it be known that they had food because um, who knows, it might be taken from them and given to other people. And so I got to take care of myself. I got to take care of my family. And so there's at least one boy out of this massive crowd that they have found willing enough or naive enough to make it known that he has something that he can contribute to this. But even the disciples looking at that go, that's not enough to feed this crowd. Five loaves and two fish. And then um, even as he is asked, Philip tells Jesus, because Jesus is testing him, and he's like, hey, where can we go buy um, food for these people? And Philip doesn't say that they have 200 denarii. A denarii was one day's wage. He was kind of being hypothetical or almost kind of snarky with Jesus in a sense that he was saying, like, even if we had 200 denarii, if we had half a year's wage— it wouldn't be enough to even give this crowd a small taste of food. And so we don't have the means. We don't have the resources. We are limited to what we can do. So their mentality was, we can't do it. And so let them take care of themselves. We can't do it. And so let someone else handle the problem. Not one disciple in that moment recognized that they were with Jesus. The man that they just watched heal a man lame for 38 years, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one they've been watching do all these miracles of healing, the one that has drawn this huge crowd, this crowd who has come just to see Jesus because he is doing these miracles. He, he is doing what is impossible. And in this moment, as Jesus is asking these questions and as Jesus is um, testing them and as they are um, calculating and trying to figure things out within their own limitations, he's in the moment with compassion healing the sick among this group that has come to him. So they're watching him do miracles in the moment, and yet they don't have the courage to believe that God in the Son of God, Jesus, God in flesh, can take care of this problem. They're only focused on their personal limitations. Had they remembered history, they would have seen parallels even in this moment. They would have known that just like Jesus is now with this multitude, these thousands of people, that Moses was also one day in their historic past of their people, um, had a multitude of people that he had led out of Egypt, out of slavery. And Moses is in this moment where he has to have a conversation with the Father, with God. And he's like, hey, okay, you've, you've uh, called me out. You, you've called me to lead these people out of Egypt into the wilderness. And now they're hangry. They're hungry and they're angry and they're thirsty. And they're demanding food. And they're thinking that, you know, you've led them out just to kill them. 
How am I supposed to feed these people? And God responds. He, if you remember, he sent um, manna by morning and quail by night. And he took care of the needs of his people. And here in this same moment, similar moment, Jesus, the son of God, is before this multitude, a greater Moses, the one who's doing the miracles and the one who's healing, the one who is doing the impossible. And yet as he questions and as he asks them what they are to do, they have no faith, they have no courage, they have no belief that there is a solution to this problem other than sending the people away. They could have told Jesus, you, you have the ability to do miracles. I mean, we're witnessing it. We're watching you do it. We, we care for these people. We want to feed these people. What would you have us to do? And I wonder oftentimes if we're much like um, these disciples in the sense that we want to tell Jesus what to do, or we want to tell him all of our problems rather than yielding ourselves to him as king and as Lord and as the sovereign God saying, what do you want me to do? What, what would you have me to do in this moment? How would you have me to meet this need in this moment? But instead of asking him to help in this moment, instead of them yielding to him and saying, Lord, we don't have the resources, what would you have us to do or simply help us? I think sometimes that might be the uh, most spiritual thing that you can pray is simply help me. Or if you can't even get the me out, just help. Yielding yourself and understanding that you are limited, but God is not. You are limited, but he is fully in control and fully powerful and has unlimited provision. Instead, they told Jesus how limited they were and even worse, wanted him to enter into their doubt and into their limitations by sending the people away. That was their solution. Jesus, we got to send these people away. There's a massive need on our hands. They're hungry. We have no food. We have no money. And so there's nothing we can do. Jesus, send them away. And I love what Jesus says. His reply in verse 16 says, they don't need to go away. Jesus told them, you give them something to eat. You take care of the problem. You take responsibility. You do the hard work. But yet they didn't have to do the hard work. That was their mentality. That was their thought was we've got to come up with the solution. We've got to come up with making this possible. And I do wonder if we're like the disciples at times. We're like the Israelites at times. We are the complainers. We are the, the limited. And so therefore we want to make God known. We can't do this. I can't make this happen. And so therefore, I can't obey, I can't follow, whatever that might be. If we feel that we're limited or lacking in some way, we'll sit back paralyzed, leaving the work for someone else to do. Let them take care of it themselves. Let them handle it. Let them do the work. Let them provide. The only solution to our challenges has to fit within our own limitations. Okay, God, if I'm going to solve this problem, if I'm going to um, follow you in this calling or whatever that might be, it's got to fit within my sphere of provision, my sphere of time, my sphere of um, skill and ability and what my finite mind can figure out. If I'm going to do this, it's got to fit within my understanding 
We only make decisions based on what provision or power we have at our disposal instead of trusting God who has unlimited provision and power. See, the problem is we're unwilling to potentially look foolish in order for the mission of Jesus to flourish. We, we, we are afraid that we will look foolish to someone because we failed. We'll look foolish to someone because we're like, hey, hey, Jesus, um, we, we can feed these people. And the other disciples look and go, really? Like where? How? How, how is this going to happen? See, see we're, we're afraid of looking like the fool who says we can, make, we, we can do that. We, 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 we know that we're with Jesus and that can happen. E- even with this five loaves of bread and two fish, we can feed all these people. Everybody would look like you're the idiot. You're the fool. And so we're afraid of that. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm willing to look foolish. I'm willing to fail. I'm willing to people, for people to laugh at me and mock me and and, and sneer at me or even talk behind my back and say, there's no way, there's no way that'll happen. There's no way they'll be successful at that. There's, there's no way. I, I'm willing to do that so the mission of Christ, so that the gospel and the kingdom of God can flourish and can advance. What if we fail? What if it doesn't work? What will people think? What'll happen to me? What'll happen to my family? And so some people do nothing. And I wonder if that's you. I wonder if that's kind of the, the way you find yourself leaning too often times. You have to figure it all out. You have to have A to Z. You have to have all the provision. You have to have the checklist all lined up. You, you have to have all the people lined up. You have to have all the support. It all has to be going in your favor before you'll step out and you'll obey or you'll follow Jesus. It's got to be um, convenient or it's got to be comfortable or it's got to be welcomed by friends and family and no mockery and no questions or anything like that. It's all got to line up or else I take a step back. I wait. I'm paralyzed. You know, had I given in to that mentality because it was there? You know, I had people um, telling me that when I shared that, because um, we started in Grovetown, um, which was very difficult. New Passion started in Grovetown with 37 people. And I've told you that before, five of that was my family. We, we started New Passion essentially with five people. I had to convince my wife and my kids to start with me first. As the, you know, that, that, they, they, they were there. Right. You ain't going anywhere. But 20, out of that 37, 21 were adults, 16 were kids. And as I would go invite people to join our team, or I would share the vision with people, I would get this. Well, you know such and such church is also starting in Grovetown um, on the same Sunday. Much larger church with a, with, with a much larger team. They started with like 280 some odd people. A lot more money. And it was always like, are you, are, are you sure? Almost like because in our mentality, churches are competition with one another. Like, oh, that, that's how I wanted to answer them was, oh, I'm so sorry because that church is starting in the same city at the same time. I guess God wasn't leading me to do that. Not to be snarky and not to have an attitude, but, but it was as if you know it's going to be even harder. You, you know they're going to have more influence. You know they're going to have more resources. You know, are you sure 
that that's what God's calling you to do? Do we need another church? Do, what, do you really have, I mean, are you really going to be able to, I mean, those were the questions I had even. 37 people, are we going to be able to make this happen? No money. I mean, the only money we had coming in, $5,000 from a home church that we had to pay back, and then essentially $5,000 from um, the local association or the state association that we started in. And then um, other than that, it was those who chose to get, go ahead and start giving to the church out of their tithes and offerings. And that was it. Very little money. We had, I think, $15,000 by the time we started, um, and most of that was gone because we had to buy a trailer, we had to do a block party to kind of get our name out there and meet our neighbors. Like, we had no money. We started the church by saying, you know what? We're all working jobs, and when we, uh, our, our number one priority is paying the school that we're starting in. That's it. And I've joked how I had to stop standing at the door because, you know, like, after the third Sunday— Four people showed up outside of our team. And that's if our whole team showed up. And I started thinking, you got one more week and you're going to kill this thing. And that was the mentality that I, in my provision, in my skill and ability, like I had to do, I was either going to make this happen or I was going to kill it. You, you, you ever been there? And so that's what we contended with. That's what I contended with in my own mind, in my own lack of faith, or in my own challenges. And so, had I given in to that, had I um, just did nothing because of my limitations, or because I was willing to, not willing to look foolish in order for the um, mission of Christ to flourish, then there would be no New Passion Church. There, there would not be the, the opportunity for us to care for people and to minister to them over the last 13 years as we have. See, some of you are paralyzed by the impossible, and it's easy for us to do because we're human, and we have finite minds, and we have finite, um, you know, abilities and, and provisions and skills and abilities, but we can't allow that to paralyze us like we often do. While the disciples didn't live out a courageous faith, there was one who did act courageously in this moment. Look at verse 8 and 9 again. Andrew Simon Peter's brother said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. See, the boy had the, cor the courage to contribute the little he possessed, believing it was enough to contribute to the larger solution that was needed. M maybe sometimes we need to be naive. I, I, I say that often. I didn't go to seminary. Some people call it cemetery. Um, sometimes I Wish I did because I love learning more about God's word, um, but I had more hands-on training. I, I grew up in a pastor's home and um, in the church that I was in as I shared a desire to go to college and didn't have the money at the time. Um, that pastor took me more under his wing and invested in me. And it was more like old school training and, and before there was like big seminaries and things like that. Pastors just discipled and, and brought up people underneath them like Paul and Timothy and, and as you see in the Bible. And so that's what I had. And so um, there were those limitations and um, those uh, fears of, you know, not having enough and not being able to, to, to do what needed to happen. But here in this moment, the boy had the courage to contribute the little he possessed, believing it was enough to contribute to the larger solution. And so he, he had just a little and 
uh, he was naive enough to go, you know what, I, I've got something. And I often say that because I didn't go to seminary. I wasn't taught what not to do. I wasn't told, no, no you don't do this or you don't do that. You, you know, and that's why a lot of people, they, they may be made in the mold of a, another professor or another teacher and told, no, you can't do this and you can't do that. And sometimes that's good enough because you're naive enough to try things or to allow God to work in things that you're not supposed to know you weren't supposed to do or in areas you weren't supposed to trust him because you're just naive enough to go, okay, let's do it. Let's try it. And I like that in this boy because while there's a massive crowd and it could have been dangerous because nobody else had food and if they got hungry, he was vulnerable and they could have taken advantage of him. He was naive enough to go, man, I'm watching Jesus like do miracles. I'm willing to give him what I have. And so he had the courage to contribute what he did have, believing that it was enough that it would help solve the larger problem. I don't have much. I got five loaves and two fish. It's not going to feed all these people, but maybe with um, Jesus or maybe with the combination of other people, um, he can do something with it. And so he's willing to contribute it. That's why we often say here, it's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. If people would just say, here I am, Lord, or here's what you have given me and my skills and my talents. Here's what you've provided for me and my resources. Here's the voice you've given me. Here's the strength you've given me. Here's the thinking and the mind that you've given me. And so um, it's not equal giving. I can't give what some people have given. I don't have the skills and the ability that some people have, but I do have this. And so I'm willing to sacrifice what God has given me in, in belief and in trust that in combination and in the trust of Jesus that he can do far more with it than I can by holding on to it. And so here, here, here's what you've given me. I'm giving it back and I'm entrusting it to you. Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. It's like the old hymn says, by the name in the harvest field now ripen, there's a work for all to do. Hark, the voice of God is calling to the harvest calling you. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus's name. Little, mu little is much when God is in it. God doesn't ask you for what you don't have. He didn't, he, he, he's not asking for, um, and nor does he just in this moment make something just appear out of nothing. In fact, in this moment, he utilizes the five loaves and the two fish, and he does a miracle with that because the young boy was willing to contribute it to the larger problem that was at hand. He was willing to give it away. He was willing to sacrifice it. He, he, he didn't ask for what they didn't have. He wanted them to utilize what they did have. But he does want us to trust him with what he has given to us because as we see in Scripture, he will test our faith. He will test to see if we have greater faith in him or faith in our five loaves and two bread. Faith in him or faith in our limitations. Faith in him or faith in our skills and our abilities. Where does our faith lie? He will te test us in different moments. Little is much when it's placed in the hands of an all-powerful God. Look at verse 10 to 14. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. 
Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus did a miracle this day. He took five loaves and two fish and fed what many believe is between 15 to 20,000 people. He, he took very little and he worked a miracle like only he could. But it started by a young boy willing to contribute and willing to place it in Jesus's hands and in his trust, believing that he could do more with it than he could do on his own. Willing to sacrifice his own provision. Willing to sacrifice to say, this is my food. I brought it. I took care of myself. Like, you know, I, I thought ahead. I'm sorry y'all didn't. Y'all should have packed the lunch. Too bad, too sad. He, he could have. Have we ever had that mentality? Well, well I, I thought through, I provided, I set aside, I saved, I thought ahead, I planned ahead, you didn't, too, too, too bad. I mean, it's kind of the disciples' mentality. Let, let them go, let them go take care of themselves. We, we don't have, maybe they had enough for themselves. The Bible doesn't get into all those details. But they were willing to say, hey, let them take care of it themselves. We can't. And so we're not going to try. But instead of having that mentality, he said, this is what I have, and I'm willing to contribute it. I'm willing to have the courage to give it to Jesus rather than try to hold on to it for myself so that it might benefit other people. This passage of scripture um, is a miracle. This was an event that took place that Jesus did. And so when I ask you, have you ever seen God do a miracle? Have you ever experienced a miracle? I got to share a story and, and I was like, you know what? I want to share that with the larger congregation. I got to share it with the group link group just um, a few weeks ago. And, and, and it reminds me of this passage. Hurricane Katrina had hit in 2005 on the Gulf Coast devastated cities like Biloxi, Mississippi, and um, uh, New Orleans, um, Louisiana. And many of you um, know that. You live through it. In fact, um, David and Belinda, David's out sick today, and so they're at home. But um, they're here because of that. That, that helped kind of shift their life story and brought them here. And so I was a local student pastor at another church at the time, uh, and that church no longer exists. But um, in that moment, the I think that hit like between a Sunday night and a Monday morning. And so the pastor, we were in the office. And so he basically was just like, and I have to give him credit because it's he that basically was like, hey, um, let, what if we just load up and take as much groceries that we can collect between now and Wednesday night um, and bottled waters and we just go down and do something. We, we just go help because it's devastating. And so we might not be able to do much, but, but we can do something. And so we spent between that afternoon to Wednesday just getting word out to the church. Not, nothing big. Um, hey, can y'all bring groceries? Can you bring bottled waters? 
as someone within the congregation who had a connection, who's willing to say, hey, I have this connection, let's see what can happen. And so it was a local water bottling company, and they, were, they, they donated enough cases to put on a, one of those open utility trailers that you would put like a lawnmower on and yard equipment, stuff like that. And so when we left out, we took an RV on Wednesday night um, after church. We were going to drive through the night. Um, and we, there were six of us who decided to go. And so a um, few people were going to switch off driving. We had no plan. We didn't know where we were going. Um, in fact, at a certain point, we knew electricity was off. We knew there was no gas. Like, we had no idea what we were going to do beyond uh, a certain place. Like, will we have enough fuel? We had some extra fuel containers. Uh, was that going to be safe because it had to be outside of the vehicle? Would we get rot? You know, we had no idea. We just decided to load up and be foolish enough to go to help people in need. And so we get there and we um, end up going into this cove area of Biloxi, Mississippi, and, and um, it's devastated. It's like a bomb went off. They built their houses at the level of Camille, which was, I think, a 26-foot storm surge, and Katrina comes in in this area at like 32 feet and um, wiped it out. There, there's roofs just laying flat on the ground. There's piles of sticks talking to some of the neighbors, um, people had, um, that were out in it, that had to go out in it. In fact, um, I'll share on my um, personal Facebook and can even put it on the church. I've got video where we interviewed people. And, and one man said that it got so high in their house, they had to strap themselves together. And the next step was to jump out into the, the water because their house was filling up. And so um, we, we go into the downtown area where the um, poorer area is, and, and it's completely just rearranged. Houses were shifted from one road to the next. It was unrecognizable. It, it was completely wiped out. We, 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 uh, we pull into Biloxi, and at the same time, um, the, the uh, uh, National Guard is getting there. So, so they haven't even set up. And so we just start handing out water. And we're handing out water, bottles of water, 10 bottles of water. People were great because it's like, hey, we only need, you know, five bottles. We're good. Some cases, we go up to an apartment complex. And, and at first we were a little hesitant because there's a piece of plywood up that says trespassers will be shot. And there's a sniper up there ready to shoot. And so we got water and we were welcomed in. And so we were giving cases out. And we noticed throughout the day the water was not disappearing. It, it, it just was not shrinking. We're giving out cases. We're giving out, we're breaking cases open and we're giving bottles out. And I believe that day we saw a miracle. In one moment, we were flagged down as we're driving through a neighborhood in the Cove area. And it's on the outskirts, and this lady is kind of waving us down. And so we go in, and we, we give her some water, but she's more frantic than that because she's lost power. They don't have a generator, and her father is in a hospital bed dependent on oxygen, and they have no power. She can't leave his side. She doesn't know what she's going to do. She has no use of phone. There's nothing she can do. She, she feels helpless because she can't get to anywhere. And so Lord allowed us to get by her in time that we were able to go find a local fire department who was able to get there and help her and her father. And we were able to do that simply because we chose to just go and to be there, to be present and to help. And so um, we, towards the end of the day, as it, you know, it, it's late afternoon, 
we start seeing now the water starting to diminish. And, and um, because we're getting ready to go, we're going to turn around and just drive straight back. We had no hotel reservations. We weren't going to stay in the RV. It was an old RV. In fact, it, it didn't even work really well. <laughs> I, got, I had to keep my hands in the engine compartment and hold the spark plug wires apart because they were old and they were cracked. And we didn't know that before we left and they were arcing. So as we were leaving, it kept sputtering. And so we were like, oh, pour some stuff, thinking water's in the gasoline. It wasn't, it was the, they were arcing. So on the way back, once we figured it out, I fell asleep in the floor holding the wires. I'd get shocked every once in a while. Um, then I had the smart idea to use some uh, liquid electric tape to, you know, kind of seal them up. That doesn't work. It starts a fire. Um, so, it was a, yeah. so it was a very um, uh, eventful trip. But, at the, but before we left town, because it was getting, uh, the, you know, starting to get evening and we wanted to leave before it started getting dark, we had given out all the groceries. We didn't have a lot of groceries. We had more water than we did groceries. And so out of all the groceries, there were six cans of Vienna sausages. And so we were like, um, there were six of us. We're going to each hold on to a can. We didn't have breakfast. We didn't have lunch. That was going to be our meal for the day. And so a lady pulls up and she um, is asking us, do we have any food? Well, we know we're in a much better position than her. We might have to drive eight hours to get to a restaurant, but at some point we'd be able to get some food. And so we told her, we said, we've got six cans of Vienna sausages. They're yours if you want them. And she said, no, 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 no. Do you have any food? <laughs> and we're like, we were going to eat these Vienna sausages. And she said, we've been watching you go up and down the street, handing out water and food to people. And she said, uh, we, we want to feed you. We're like, no, 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 no. We, we're here to help you. And she's like, no, you don't understand. We own a seafood restaurant. And we have freezers at our house where we keep some of the food. And she said, without the power, it's all dethawing. And so she said, we're taking what we have and we're just going down the street to our neighbors and we're just feeding them. And so they had set up a kind of makeshift, uh, you know, free restaurant in their yard. And so she said, follow me. We want to feed you to make sure that you have something to eat. We had a seafood feast for a king. I don't know if it was because we hadn't eaten all day, but it was the most delicious seafood I've ever had. And at that, as we're talking, we had committed to them. We're going to come back. We're going to get more volunteers. We're going to get more supplies. And so a gentleman there, brother of the lady who came and found us, is pretty high up in the state police. And he said, well, I can tell you, they're going to start shutting some of these roads down because some of the areas are so bad. And he said, so getting back into certain areas are going to be very difficult. He said, but I work for the state police. He said, so here's my phone number. When you come back, he said, you give me a call. I'll make sure you get into where you need to go. And so we chose to adopt that um, cove area. We came back and we just started sharing word with our church. We made a video. We promoted it. Somehow the news got a hold of it. One of the local partners, Channel 6. And um, we were a time to care partner or whatever. Banks set up collection points. The, the, the local military was helping collect um, items. And we became a distribution center for a trip that we took several weeks, uh, maybe a week or two later. I forget how long it was. We took over 40 volunteers, multiple box trucks, another guy on the TV hearing us that owned his own. He was an owner operator of a semi truck, 52 foot truck 
donated his fuel and his truck to load it up full of supplies. And we ended up taking down and having a massive um, uh, just service project. And we ended up having uh, three there and another to uh, a place in Texas because another hurricane had hit. And all of that was made possible because it started with a pastor who just said, hey, y'all want to go do something? And six people who said, yeah, I'm stupid enough to, to go. Not, not a plan, not worried about our own safety of what could have happened to us, not worried about our own provisions, just saying, Here, here's our time, here's our physical self, use us. We didn't have plans for a larger service project. We didn't have plans for the, mil for the media to partner with us. We weren't out there trying to make a name for ourselves. It was just simply, there's a need. Here, here's what I have to offer. And God took it and he multiplied it. And he took bottled water and I believe he gave us enough miraculously to help us get through that entire day. It was enough probably for a subdivision and it lasted us all day. And I wonder for us, as we go into 2023 as a church, if, if that could be our heart as followers of Jesus, that we would believe in the God of the impossible enough to say, here's my five loaves and my two fish. Here's my two hands. Here's my voice. Here's my mind. Here's my time. Here's, here's what you have given me, and I want to give it back. I, I want to trust it in the hands of Jesus. It might be little, but little is much when God is in it. Little is much when it's in the control of Jesus. That could be joining the church. It could be the, the numerous Bible studies that we have coming up saying, I want to grow spiritually, and so I'm going to give my time. I'm going to give my effort. There's a precept Bible study coming up. There's a women's Bible study coming up. There's, uh, they're, they're always coming up. We, we keep them in front of you. Here's my time. You know, I'm going to be a part of this church. I'm going to be a part of the church family. I'm not going to sit on the sidelines. I'm not just going to occupy a seat, but I'm going to join. I'm going to be a part. I'm going to use my gifts and my talents. I might have one. I might have two weeks a month, but you know what? That one or two weeks a month is more, it, 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 is, it is more than I can do on my own when I devote it and give it to Jesus. Here's what I can give. Might not be as much as some, but, but my faith-filled generosity can go much further when I entrust it to Jesus than my doubt-filled control of it and my doubt-filled greed because I feel like I'm limited. So it could be, I'm, I'm going to be a partner in giving. I'm going to be a partner in serving. I'm going to join the church family and take ownership in this place. I'm going to give of my time and of myself so I can grow spiritually, so I can know my Lord and my Savior even more. It could be my voice is enough to share my faith with the unbelievers in my community, in my workplace. My voice is enough, and I believe God can use it. All I got to do is open my mouth and be willing to share. Whatever it is, could be that you use your limited time as we begin this 21 days of prayer to, to quit complaining, to quit gossiping, to quit the negativity and say, you know what? I might not like the way things are. They may not be the way I want them to be, 
but I got a little bit of time and I'm wasting it complaining. I'm wasting it doubting. I'm wasting it whatever. And so I'm going to transfer that. And instead of doing that, I'm going to take that little bit of time and I'm going to pray for my needs. I'm going to pray for the needs of my church family. I'm going to pray for the needs of my community because I believe that one little prayer, I believe that one little bit of time that I have to devote to bringing that before Jesus is great when he is in it. And so the little that I have this year, I'm going to contribute it. The little that he's given me, I'm going to place it back in his control and trust him to do something far above anything I can think or imagine or believe or dream on my own. But I'm willing to look foolish so the mission of Jesus can flourish. Not for my fame and not, not for my glory, but for his. If that's you, I encourage you in this moment. Maybe as you go online, you, you, you take that step right now of signing up to serve or signing up to, to go into the prayer tab, whatever. Signing up for the Bible studies. Taking that step and not saying, well, I'll do it next week. No, you could do it right now from your phone. But most importantly, I want you to make that commitment to God, not to the church, not to your spouse, not even to yourself. But, to, but if that's you, just like that boy said, hey, I've got five loaves and two fish that you in this moment would commit, God, whatever you've given me, time, talent, treasure, I'm giving it to you and asking you to do something through it and with it that I cannot do on my own. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you provided for Moses when he needed to feed your people. God, I thank you that you worked and, and, and showed us even through yourself with the multitude that when there were hungry, when there were a, a, a hungry multitude that you provided out of five loaves of bread and two fish. I thank you for allowing me to personally experience how you multiplied water for people who had nothing after Hurricane Katrina who had no home, they had no food, they had no electricity, their clothes were ruined. They had nothing. And yet you allowed us to be a part of a greater story that you worked miracles, that you provided far above anything we, we ever imagined we would be able to provide. And you turned that one trip into three trips where we were to provide even more. We were able to be a witness to you, to the people in that community. And you received the glory and you received the honor just as Christ did when he multiplied that. And people looked at him and said, surely he is the one to come. He has come. And so God, I pray that that would be our heart this year, that we would believe that you are the God of the impossible. Lord, it is impossible with us, but it is not impossible with you. May we each be willing to take the things we normally would hold back and say, for the flourishment of the mission of Christ, for the advancement of the gospel, for the advancement of the kingdom, here is what I have to give, and I'm going to give it. I'm going to contribute it because I'm going to trust that Christ can do more with it in his possession than if I keep it in mine. May we all have that heart. And then, Father, help us through the power of the Holy Spirit 
to be able to keep that commitment and to be able to walk that out, not only just this year, but for the rest of our lives, that we would keep giving what you place in our possession, that we might see you do a great work in us and through us, that we might glorify you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.